The Astros won the 2017 World Series and then later were punished for stealing signs using electronic means and famously banging on trash cans. There's a new book out about it, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. And our guest on the show today, author Evan Drellich. Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Excited to be joined by author Evan Drellich, baseball writer for The Athletic and author of the new book, Winning Fixes Everything, How Baseball's Brightest Minds Created Sports' Biggest Mess. Came out February 14th, available wherever you get your books. Evan, thank you for joining Locked on MLB Prospects. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Absolutely. So this, obviously the book covers the Houston Astros uh, trash can banging, sign stealing scandal that, that everybody has seemingly heard about by now. When did you realize how exact, like, like exactly how big this story was? I knew when I found out in October of 2018, it was a, a big story. I, I think at that time, you know, a little bit, you wonder, well, how will the commissioner's office treat it? Um, mm-hmm. You don't exactly know what the reactions are going to be. I knew it was big, though. It was a World Series winning team that uh, that had cheated. And but I, I couldn't have predicted, I, I don't think, you know, that years later it would it would still be kind of creating head. It, it literally still creates headlines, right? Carlos Beltran gets hired by the Mets, and it's a talking point. And even as spring training has come out, people are asking uh, Red Sox and Dodgers about some of the reporting in the book. I mean, it 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 just it, it seems to keep going, and I think it's a really unique set of circumstances where. It is a very messy situation. It's not clean and tidy. Um, you know, it, it riles up different fan bases. And yeah, you had a World Series winning team that cheated. That's pretty shocking. Yeah. And and it it seems to be a pretty great set of circumstances that you were the one that, that got the tip, right? You covered the team from 2013 to 2016 for the Houston Chronicle, and you had a history of critically but fairly examining the organization, some of their processes and things like that. Do you think that if somebody else got the initial tip or if somebody else, if Mike Fires went to somebody and said, hey, I'll go on the record for you, do you think that may, like we would have gotten the full story that we got uh, from you in The Athletic and now this book? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I do think the the sourcing in the, I had and the reporting I had done to to – create that sourcing what is sourcing it's trust right Mm -hmm. it's credibility with people um i I think i was unique in that uh you know ken rosenthal across the league is widely respected and he was part of the process you know uh, to to the fires point specifically uh we spoke to him three days before publishing you know i i think there's an assumption that because he was on the record that in some way the whole thing started with or or hinged on him it was fantastic and something every reporter wants in, in every story to have someone on the record. And, it, you know, it's come at a toll for him. Uh, it's not easy to be a whistleblower. But uh, just in terms of what the process was, you know, it, it really began with um, my connections and the trust I had engendered um, inside the Astros. Yeah, and it's when you think about it, like you said, it's a World Series team that cheated. 
I mean, it's it's an absolutely bizarre story. It's very brazen. It's odd that you could go back and watch videos and see exactly what they were doing and or, sorry, hear whatever they were doing yeah. as you were doing the reporting for The Athletic and then later fleshing this out into the book. Uh, what was the most surprising part of this investigation for you? Just the part that kind of blew you away. Specifically with sign stealing? This Sign stealing, kind of that whole situation of the team had a setup uh, using technology and doing it during games. Like, what was the most surprising part of that? You know, I, I guess probably some of the anecdotes. Um you know, drive it home uh, in the book. There's Carlos Beltran uh, scolding staffers for not setting up the monitor quickly enough and then complaining about it uh, after the game to others. You know, it, it, it just kind of the, when you have these moments where you see the drive and the interest they had in using uh, the system, there's a detail about, how there were little name tags sometimes on these chairs that they would set up across from the monitor where whoever was decoding that day would, would sit and do it. Um, you know, the whole book in general, and it's, you know, it's largely a management culture book. Mm -hmm. There were so many moments where, where I had a reaction of, whoa, this is wild. You know, like, like who would believe that behind the scenes of, of, of a team that was performing very well, and not just in 17, all this crap was going on. And, and I think that's like at the top level, the jarring thing for me is how different the perception of the team was and the narratives that were written about the team were mm -hmm. from what was really going on. You know, some of it was true. It is true that they figured out how to build good baseball rosters. No question about that. Uh, but there was so much more. And, um, it's almost like a media journalism topic. You know, it, it, the, the, the difference between reality and what is presented as reality. Yeah. And you touched on the management culture thing. A recurring theme in the book seems to feel like as the Astros build this, this new look front office, people who haven't worked in baseball a lot, and they're implementing all of these new, you know, they're, they're early adopters on some things they're fast followers on some things. Uh, but they start to lose the benefit of the doubt or goodwill with a lot of different people across baseball. Sometimes it's the players who they give a low ball early extension offers to. Sometimes it's an arbitration. Sometimes it's opposing teams. Do you think that like some of that played a role in the disparate punishment you saw to the Astros versus say the Red Sox who were in the book about stuff happening or the Yankees or even some of like the, the alleged stuff the Dodgers may have done. Do you think that, some of that front office, the feelings towards that front office played a role to MLB or was it more of this is a bigger deal and we need to kind of stop this whole practice from happening? Yeah, I think it's a, it, there's a few things on, on the punishment front. Um, you know, it, it's not in MLB's interest to slam down team after team after team. And, and by the way, we don't have any evidence a team was doing something as egregious as what the Astros were doing, but we yeah. do know that other teams are doing what is generally considered um, a lesser scheme. So in that sense, it's not unsurprising that, that the Astros basically get the brunt of it. And, you know, they go lighter on the Red Sox because MLB doesn't want this thing to keep rolling. It's, it's not a question of what's fair. It's a question of uh, from MLB's perspective, you know, we don't want scandal. Um, uh, after scandal now you know I, I think 
I think MLB was sick of the Astros crap to a degree. You know, if you look at 19 and 18, 18, you have during the playoffs, which is MLB's jewel time, right? You, you have this dust up with Kyle McLaughlin, who's, you know, low level Astros employee intern, uh, taking pictures around the uh, Indians and Red Sox dugout, um, mm-hmm. Cleveland. Um, and in 19, you have Brandon Taubman, uh, right before the world series having this massive incident that takes all this time away. Right. So, so the culture of the Astros, what the Astros were doing was, was directly (laughs) impacting the MLB's one shining moment. Right. And, and MLB is very protective of its postseason. Um, And so I think in general, there was a, uh, you know, it was bleeding over, right. The, The culture stuff was becoming so loud and, you know, I had reported on it years earlier, and it it, it got some traction, but it, it wasn't until eighteen and nineteen that that people's eyes were, were more open to it generally. Uh, after the, particularly after the Taubman incident, which wasn't long before the uh, long before the story came out. Um, so, you know, look if you read Manfred's report, I mean, there's something pretty extraordinary in there. The public report he did on the Astros, it, it, he he totally takes baseball operations in Houston to task, right? The culture that Luno built, he uh, also exonerates Jim Crane, which, uh, you know, that's what, that's what commissioners do. They protect their owners in almost every mm-hmm. situation. That's the um, job. Right. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's kind of, I think there was a sense with MLB of we, we've had enough of this, you know, heading into the investigation. But look, you still need the, f- and then it turns out that the facts on the ground, as reported by Ken and I, and then MLB even finds a little bit more, you know, also backed up that like hey something was wrong here yeah and and along that same vein of something's wrong and mlb has to step in and fix it do you think that mlb now has some sufficient protections in place to prevent future scenarios like this one or is it just going to be whack-a-mole where it'll be something different and it MLB will have to put in new rules to stop whatever the new scheme is have they done enough because the theme of the book almost is this mentality that you know, win at all costs, you know, cutthroat. We're going to, we don't care about the human element. We don't, you know, like we're going to do everything we can to win games in any possible way. Has MLB done enough to protect the game from things like this happening going forward? There's a couple points there. Um, in general, uh, the rule breakers will, will probably always be ahead of, of rule makers and rule enforcers. That doesn't mean that, you know, there, there wasn't a better job for MLB to do, you know, as far as, crossfire sign stealing allegations it does seem to have quieted you know it's not like we're hearing all the time now oh, i think this team was stealing we hear it a little bit now but it mm-hmm. it does seem to be quieter um in general it's now harder to do it right if you were going to do electronic sign stealing now you'd either have to be hacking into pitchcom um or doing something more clandestine like wearing a buzzer or, you know it, it, it would be uh, it, it's harder to do what what the astros were doing and what the other you know, Red Sox, Yankees, the, the base runner system, that's, it, it's just not as easy to do. But it is human nature. It is baseball players' hyper-competitive nature to try to find an edge that's not going away. There will someday, again, be be a form of cheating. The question will be, is it found out? Um, you know, do we, do we hear about it? Uh, you know, the, the door to the imagination is opened here. MLB is being relatively upfront with the fact that in their, you know, all the new rules they're putting in this year, 
Like I was at a demonstration yesterday. They did one Florida, one in Arizona, and I was at the Florida one. Um, you know, they talk about the circumvention. They're aware that that players and teams are going to try to leverage these new rules in, in ways that benefit them. And, you know, they're, they're trying to be proactive with that circumvention. And who knows? Maybe maybe if uh, maybe if the sign stealing stuff doesn't come out or they don't have to deal with that kind of scandal, maybe they're not as keen on it. But, you know, the irony was that MLB had gone through the PEDs. Manfred was a point person there. And Manfred leads the push to put technology in all these teams, uh, you know, clubhouses with these video rooms, right? Or near the clubhouses and near the dugouts. And, uh, well, gee, what do you think these people are going to do if you give them new video tools? What do you think? When you implement it and you don't have the safeguards, things can happen. Back to our interview in just a minute. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. We are in spring training. The games are starting soon. So if you're ready to take a road trip to either Arizona or to Florida, You've got to get some Built Bars. If you're anything like me and my family, when we road trip, we stop at the gas station, obviously to fill the car up. But then we go inside and we pick up candy. We pick up crackers. We pick up chips. We pick up soda. And we just munch on unhealthy food all the way till we get to our destination. Instead, try a Built Bar. One, they taste good. 100% real chocolate for every single Built Bar. Flavors are fantastic. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, things like that. And then they keep you full because it's only 130 calories and four grams of sugar, but 17 grams of protein. And that's what tells your your body that you are not hungry. So go to built.com, check out all of the flavors that they have. Uh, order some built bars so that you have them ready for your road trip. If you run out while you're on the road, you've got options. Stop at your nearest Walmart Go to the pharmacy section, grab a four-bar box of cookies and cream, of double chocolate, or of coconut puff, or go to Sam's Club and grab a 13-bar box of brownie batter or churro. It's the best way to keep yourself from gaining five pounds on your road trip. We are joined by Evan Drellich, baseball writer for The Athletic, author of the new book, Winning Fixes Everything, Out Baseball's Brightest Minds, Created Sports' Biggest Mess, out now, available wherever books are sold. Uh, talking about the players, one of the big things that a lot of fans had issue with was the fact that no active players were punished for the Astros scandal. And this is in the book a bit, but uh, do you think it was possible for MLB to get the level of information that they got uh, to to fully understand what was going on without offering immunity to the players? Was there any other way to do this or was that the only option? I mean, to me, you know, this, the reporting Ken and I did was very detailed. Uh, mm-hmm. And then subsequently after that, literally same day, actually, you know, John Boy very quickly puts together video evidence as well. Uh, Ken and I had uh, opposing player Danny Farquhar on the record. We had Mike Fires on the record, mm-hmm. in addition to the unnamed sources in the story. Um, so I find the notion that we had to grant them immunity uh, to, to punish this or get to the bottom of it uh, really dubious it, I, i'm very skeptical of it i think the, and manfred has talked a bit about what was probably more the the motivating factor he didn't put it that way but but he's talked about this factor which was uh you know if he, if he punishes or attempts to punish the union's gonna have a, a a pretty good case to overturn it um or at least reduce them and you know so then it's a bit of pick your poison for manfred do you run that risk? How do you look? Do you look worse if you do that and you're, you're meant to look ineffective because your punishments don't hold up? Um, so it's a bit of bit of pick your poison at that point, but that's self-inflicted. If Manfred had seen 
it was a matter of foresight. If, if Manfred had realized how this problem could grow and he, he had a little opportunity to, um, and, and realized what the outcry would be if it ever got bad and, and he, he didn't punish a team, if he could have seen this scenario coming a bit, um, you know, he, he probably would have made, uh, an attempt to establish with the players union ahead of time. Hey, this is a punishable behavior and this is how it's going to be punished. That has now since happened. Uh, the, the league and the union came to an understanding on that, uh, but only after the fact, right? And so it was Manfred basically sitting there thinking, "I'm not, you know, this will be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold the manager and the GM accountable, and uh, I'll find the Red Sox and the Yankees in 2017, and everybody will respect me, and I won't have a problem going forward." And uh, that's not what happened. <laughs> definitely, definitely not what happened. Uh, a big part of the book, and you touched on it earlier, is it's it's really a, a management and business culture story and you they talk in there about how to create an organizational philosophy behind evaluating and drafting and developing and and how a lot of mlb teams uh you know if you're an early adopter or a fast follower you have there's a time period where you have an advantage over the rest of baseball because you have more and better quality information and for the most part now we've seen obviously track bands everywhere a lot of minor league affiliates have it now high-speed cameras are ubiquitous in the game have you kind of seen like the next area where there is that inequality where some teams have adopted this new technology or this new process and not everybody else has done that yet? What, what, what is the, the to, uh, you know, to what TrackMan is in 2015 or 2014? What is, what is that uh, technology today? You know, I, 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 that's an interesting question and I, mm -hmm. I could ask some people about it. Um, I, I would only be speculating. Um, you know, we, we know that, look, wearables are are, uh, are are proliferating, you know, things that can measure not just the performance on the field, but literally kind of how your body operates. Uh, you know, there's studies done on bats now. I mean, in, in the extent of it um, is far reaching. But no, I, I don't know off the top of my head, like, what is the thing at the moment? And frankly, you know. Teams don't want that out there. And, and it's one of the things that's kind of too bad about uh, the rise of analytics in the sense that everything is proprietary mm -hmm. because it kills some of the fun narratives, right? Like people, baseball fans, baseball media, who, who brings things to fans, like you want interesting stories about how things are done. And when everybody's standing there going, oh, no, we can't talk about that. Well, okay, you know, like, sorry, the, the strikeout walk home run uh, uh, fest, you know, without an interesting backstory behind it, not that interesting. <laughs> Wanted to take just a second here before we wrap up and, and cover some minor league baseball unionization real quick. You obviously, you were one of the first ones with the stories about the Players Association uh, creating a minor league bargaining unit, wanting to get them organized. And you wrote back in late December about proposals had started to go back and forth between the minor league bargaining unit and MLB as a whole. Do you have any knowledge as of now as to where those negotiations stand and should fans be prepared for either a CBA to be enacted during spring training or any sort of disruption to the season because there's not one in place? So those aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, you know, if, let's say they don't get a CBA done in time for the season. You don't have to have a work stoppage, right? MLB, right. the owners don't have to declare a, a lockout and uh, the players wouldn't have to strike. And, and in fact, in this case, I would be very surprised if either would happen. I would just assume that they would keep bargaining. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a brand new union, a huge amount of players. Uh, you know, do minor leaguers have the leverage that major leaguers have? It's it, the idea of like taking them out on strike on opening day because you don't have a CBA yet. It's the first CBA. It's complicated to put together because you're starting from scratch. Um, so no, I don't foresee a minor league work stoppage in 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 the near future. I mean, I, you know, I guess some something could always change. Yeah. Uh, and where are they now? They're still bargaining. You know, uh, that that's. Um, I don't have more detail than that, but yeah. they're, they're still going back and forth. And so it, it's, it's underway. It's, it's, you know, it's a process. Yeah. And when the, the major league side had their CBA negotiations, as we understood it, or as I understood it, uh, the actual agreement was, was understood. All the parameters were understood, but the actual CBA itself had to still be written by the lawyers and get through all of those processes. Do you know if the major league CBA has been, finalized on paper uh, legally or is it still they're still working under that initial agreement that they made in negotiations yeah no they're still on the um the tentative agreements uh, they are trying to put together the final form of the cba and you know you got to word it and uh make sure the other side approves of the wording whoever's doing the wording and so that process is taking a long time i want to see the final cba uh, I, I know some fans uh cba wants to too so, you know, at one point I was told, uh, hopefully by opening day, um, I checked, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago about it and yeah, it's still going. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if they'll hit opening day or not. And you would hope a year later that, that maybe that they could get done, but uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Final question for you is you wrote in early January about there's some minor league affiliates, team owners in the minor leagues that are concerned that after that CBA, for, for the minor league players is negotiated between the players association and ownership that there's going to be some additional expenses that the major league teams try to push off onto the minor leagues. Do you know uh, what some of those might be, or are there sort protections in the player development agreement that can mitigate the, the influx of costs there for those minor league organizations kind of whenever that CBA is enacted and it all comes into effect. Yeah, these these PDLs, the player uh, development yeah. licenses, um, are are top secret. They they are. Uh, I I would love to stumble into one. I have yet to <laughs> uh, to be able to read it. But the, you know, the sentiment from uh, minor league owners is is one of concern, feeling that ultimately MLB does have pretty good wherewithal, even within these contracts, to pass on additional costs. Um, you know, maybe it, it, it could be in buckets like hotels and transportation. There was an example of how during the pandemic, when uh, an extra bus was used for minor leaguers, the minor league teams uh, paid for that, at least at the start. And I think later MLB actually picked up that that cost. So um, it's it's a little ambiguous, at least publicly, as to to where that those changes could be. But the general sentiment is, yes, uh, if 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 MLB owners are paying more these PDLs uh, afford MLB the ability to pass some of those costs on to minor league owners. Fantastic. Evan, thank you for your time. Uh, again, the book winning fixes everything. How baseball's brightest minds created sports biggest mess is out now available wherever books are sold. Uh, Evan, thanks again for joining the show. Always welcome back. Thanks Lindsay. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at 
FanDuel. We are at the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel because it is America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use, and you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, threes drained, everything like that. And you can combine those bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Great chat with Evan. Reminder, winning fixes everything available wherever you get your books. Uh, just a fantastic read about not only the Astros scandal, but about how you develop, how you collect information for minor leaguers uh, and what you do with that. Speaking of minor leaguers, really interesting story that broke late in the week last week. So Bally Sports, uh, that is the, the networks that air a lot of games for a lot of different teams. So like the Mets, the Mets own their own broadcast network. The Yankees, uh, you know, YES, like they own their network. But a lot of teams in baseball, in hockey, and in basketball have sold the broadcast rights to Diamond Sports. Uh, Diamond Sports owns all of these Bally Sports regional sports networks. They bought them from, uh, from Fox when Disney bought Fox because the Department of Justice said you couldn't own these. Uh, they are filing for bankruptcy. And so what that means is, one, payments to Major League Baseball teams are probably going to be delayed and or possibly reduced. These are, this is the broadcast rights. So this money is used to make payroll. Like this legitimately has, like potentially has an impact on these major league teams. But there's a really interesting wrinkle with this. And it's that Major League Baseball, according to Rob Manfred, has an opportunity to fix the blackout rules. If Bally goes bankrupt. So here's, here's what happens with the, with the blackout rules. The way that it's set up now is every, essentially every zip code in the country is assigned one or more major league teams. You are in their broadcast area. And what that means is you are considered to be in market for that team. So if their game is on MLB.tv, you know, carries every team, every game. If you are in the broadcast area, meaning theoretically you can get the game via your local cable provider, then you are in, you are in the blackout area. You are ineligible to watch that game on streaming. Now, the issue that we've noticed is as streaming has proliferated, as cable revenues and cord cut like as cable revenues have decreased and cord cutting has gone up and you have more of these streaming options for live television there's Hulu there's YouTube Plus there's uh, Sling all these different options not everybody in a blackout area has the ability to get that channel i'm a perfect example i live in east alabama i live in auburn alabama we are part of the Atlanta Braves broadcast area. But YouTube TV, who I was using for the longest time, YouTube TV did not have an agreement with Bally 
to stream Bally Sports South and Bally Sports Southeast in Alabama. They were in a carriage dispute. They resolved it partially. And so anybody in Georgia could pay to get Bally Sports Southeast and Bally Sports South on their uh, on their YouTube TV package. But people in Alabama could not. And so there was a time period there where I legally did not have an option in my streaming package to get Atlanta Braves games. But because I was in the blackout area, MLB.TV said, we are not going to let you watch Braves games from where you live. So there's ways around that. And I, you know, I, I was able to watch all the games that I wanted. Most of what I watch is MLB.TV anyway, minor league games. Uh, but Commissioner Rob Manfred has said that MLB wants to make a streaming service that gives you the ability to watch in-market games as well. So like in New York, you can't watch the Mets or the Yankees. In Iowa, states that don't have teams, sometimes there's multiple teams that are blacked out. You may not have access to the Cardinals or the Brewers or the Cubs or White Sox. Like you may have multiple teams that you're cut out from. And so Rob Manfred said, if the RSNs go bankrupt and something has to happen, The MLB teams that are carried by Bally Networks might be able to be distributed as soon as 2023 through some sort of digital service like an MLB.tv. So there is potentially some positives that can happen as far as reach and the ability for anybody to watch any baseball game they want, including what's considered their local team, even if they don't have an option in linear television to watch that team. Now, what I like about what MLB has done this year to to MLB.TV is they have added minor league games as well. So it's a really interesting setup. If you pick your favorite team in MLB.TV, and then you can watch that team provided you're out of market. The way that MLB.TV is set up is like for this upcoming season is you can also watch any minor league game for that favorite team that you set on your television. So if you have a like a Roku, Google TV, Apple TV, whatever it is, the the MLB.tv apps on those will let you watch these games. Whereas like right now, MILB.tv only works in your browser. So in my office, in my home office that I'm in right now, I can watch these games on my computer but the TV I have over here can't play those games. So starting in 2023 with MLB.TV, you'll be able to watch those minor league games for your favorite team that you've selected in the app. You'll be able to watch those games on your television. But shout out to our friends at Baseball America. They reached out to MLB and got some clarification. There is nothing in MLB.TV that prevents you from changing your favorite team as often as you want, which means, oh, and you can change your team from right inside the MLB.TV app on your smart television. So that means starting in 2023, if you have MLB.TV, you can watch any minor league game that is available through the MLB.TV app. All you have to do is go out there and change your favorite team on the MLB.TV app to the organization that hosts that affiliate, like that that hosts that minor league team. 
and then you can watch that game on your TV. When that game, let's say you you want to watch the Las Vegas Aviators, AAA of the Rays. You go in there and you say, my favorite team is the Oakland A's. And it asks, are you sure? Because not many people say that. And you say, yes, it'll let you watch any game from those affiliates of the Oakland A's. You turn on Las Vegas Aviators game, you watch that game. That game is over. You want to watch the AA Montgomery Biscuits. You go into MLB.tv on your smart TV. You change your favorite team to Tampa Bay. And now it lets you watch the Biscuits game. So it's a little bit, it's a, it's an extra step, yes. But you have the ability to watch minor league games on your smart television when you did not have that before. So it's a change it's a positive change that makes it a little bit easier to enjoy uh, to enjoy minor league baseball in the best possible scenario. So I'm a big fan of this change. Very excited to be able to watch MLB.tv on, or MILB, watch minor league games, MILB.tv, minor league games on this big television versus the computer screen. Fantastic week this week. More stuff coming up. We have MLB Draft Talk. We've got about some prospects that'll debut this year. Uh, lots of fun stuff. If you have questions for the mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com or drop your questions in the Locked On MLB Prospects Discord. Link is in the episode description on YouTube. Link is on the show notes on audio. Until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. Oh.